0: All the blessings of Abraham are mine, and I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated, and as you're being seated, if you would turn to 1 John, Epistle of 1 John, which is towards the end of the New Testament. And the past few Sundays, we've been in a new series on 1 John, and in the history of the church, this is our third time to come and walk through the Epistle of 1 John, verse by verse. And as pastor's been saying in the 9 a.m. service, why, why 1 John? Well, it's under attack. And it's under attack even by pastors and preachers. And if it's under attack, there must be important things here for our good and for our benefit. So turn to 1 John. Now, as we saw in the first few messages in 1 John chapter one, John begins, and this is in verse three, 1 John one and verse three, he writes so that we may have fellowship. And the, the purpose of this epistle and his heart as a pastor was that everyone who heard him, who knew him, that they would walk with the Lord and they would live a life for the Lord and they would fellowship with the Lord and in dark days, in days of evil, in days of persecution, that they would walk with God. Now, the Apostle John mentored a man whose name was Polycarp and Polycarp was a second-generation church leader. And Polycarp, he actually lived out much of his life. Persecution in the Roman Empire came in waves. There would be persecution. It would come to an end, and time would go by, and sometimes as a result, the new generation of Christian young people, they had heard the stories, but they didn't know how bad things could get. And persecution came again towards the end of Polycarp's life. And they tried to get him to recant his faith. And he said, my entire life, I have known the Lord and I will not deny him now. And one of the things that went on in the persecutions is the the Romans thought they would discourage people from becoming Christians. But when people were taken to public places or they were taken into the Colosseum or the Circus Maximus and men and women and children were put to death, God would give them grace. And so people would see with their own eyes how Christian people, even though they they were about to be eaten by wild beasts, they should have been afraid. They weren't afraid. Even though they were about to be put to death, they should have been afraid, but they weren't afraid. And Polycarp, they tried to light him on fire, but eyewitness accounts say that the, the flames did not touch his body. And so they stabbed him to put him to death. But he he walked with God and knew the Lord his entire life and left a good testimony. Well, he was trained by the apostle John himself. And before his death, Polycarp trained a young man who became a third-generation church leader. His name was Irenaeus. Irenaeus in the second century took a stand against the fruition of some of the wrong things John was concerned about in his day. But one of Irenaeus' greatest contributions to the church was not a theology that says, we're not worthy, where we're not good enough, we're just screw-ups and mess-ups, stumbling from this sin to that sin and this defeat to that defeat. Well, no, Irenaeus had been trained by Polycarp, who had been trained by the apostle John. And Irenaeus believed that we're to walk with the Lord. And as we walk with the Lord, we're to become more like the Lord and more like the Lord and more like the Lord. And we're to live a life of victory and not a defeat. And we're over time as we walk with the Lord, well, we're not, we're not the Lord, we're not God, but we are made in his image. And we're to walk with him and walk with him and fellowship with him to where we become more like him. That is followers of Christ, Christians. And who is that? people that act like the Lord and people who talk like the Lord and people who represent the Lord and live as He lived and love as He loved. And Irenaeus knew. He understood. He lived out what John writes about. I write so that you might have fellowship. But as we've learned, that requires that we walk in light and not in darkness. And it requires that when there's wrongdoing or sin in our lives, we acknowledge it. We confess it. We repent of it. And that brings us to chapter 2. And we began chapter 2 last Sunday. We're born again by believing upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we, from that point forward, we maintain our fellowship and our right standing by living free from sin, walking in the light and not in darkness, walking in truth and not in error, walking in righteousness and not in sin. And this, this cuts against a lot of what's out there today. There are, there are people and they love the Lord. They, they love the Lord. They, they, they love the Lord, but they, they've been somewhere and they've been, they've been led to believe that grace, it's just a covering over, that, that grace means that we, we just live however we want, we just do whatever we want and we're barely gonna make it into heaven someday but praise God for his grace. That is a very low view of the Christian life when God has destined us for so much greater. Chapter two, verse one, my dear children. So he writes to believers. He writes to believers like us. I write this to you so that you will not sin. So say that's the goal. goal. To, To live a life of victory, to live in victory over every bondage and over every oppression, to live a life of victory over every, every work of Satan. You know, we have children now involved in all kinds of athletics. And praise God for Jessica, she's responsible for the calendar. People ask me what's going on next week, I have no idea. I got to ask Jessica what's going on. And Monday I'll ask her what are the pickup times today and, and all what's going on. But you know whether it's elementary volleyball or it's this sport or that sport or Samuel, you know, Samuel's playing t-ball. They they don't keep score in t-ball. But he asked his mother to keep score so he would know who won. But if you're going to play, we want to win, right? If we're going to live this life, we want to have victory, right? So, yes, we're not perfect, and yes, we err, and yes, someone can be led astray, and, and yes, temptation comes, and yes, someone can give in to temptation, but the goal is that we not sin. And in chapter 1, verse 9, he gives us an answer, a remedy, a solution. That if you sin, if we confess our sins, Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he reminds them of this here in chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You read Hebrews. Hebrews, you find out that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Without beginning, without end, he's a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That under the law, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once per year to offer atonement for the sins of the people once per year. But Jesus Christ has entered the true Holy of Holies in the city of God once for all. We find out in Hebrews that he is a superior high priest of a superior covenant with better promises, better in every way. And he is the one, John says, who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. He is our, he is our defense. When Satan makes an accusation, Jesus Christ is the one who defends us. Verse two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he he paid the price. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy that God wants how many to be saved? All to be saved. Now we'll all believe, we'll all accept the good news? No, but Jesus Christ paid the price so that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Now here in chapter two, John gives us some evidence, some fruit, of whether or not a man or woman truly knows God. Jesus said in the Gospels that we're to evaluate or we're to judge a tree by its fruit. A good tree produces what kind of fruit? And a bad tree produces bad fruit. And so John here in chapter two, he gives us some signs, he gives us some criteria, he gives us some evidence to evaluate whether or not a man or woman truly knows God. You know, and people say, I, I know the Lord, I love the Lord, I, I believe in Jesus, but that's evidenced in what we do. That's evidenced in the life that we, we live. So what, what are these signs and what are these evidences that a man or woman truly knows God? Well, here's the first. We know God if we obey his commands. We know God if we're, as James said, a doer of the word of God. We know God if we truly live the life. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Jesus said in the gospels, you're my friends if you do what I command. See, see there's this whole thing out there now that, well, well, grace means it doesn't matter what you do. Grace means it doesn't matter how you live. Grace means that it doesn't matter whether you obey or don't obey. There's someone very famous in America, now he's teaching that you're you're blessed regardless of what you do. It's nonsense. You know, I'll I'll be up here on Saturday. I'm amazed even on Saturday. I've been up here on Saturday for some of the cross-country stuff for Sophie, and and it's Saturday. It's the the morning after the the football game the night before, but the the football boys are out there on the field exercising and and doing, they look to me like very hard drills. Why are they doing all that? So they can win. Well, if they didn't have practice, what would the result be? If they didn't lift weights, what would the result be? If they didn't know the rules of football, what would the results be? And yet people, they'll they'll hear a preacher say, well, you know, I got some new revelation, and we're, we're blessed no matter what we do. And you're blessed whether you do or blessed whether you don't. It's nonsense. But it is the perfect cocktail for this lazy wicked generation. And we just do whatever we want and we ought to just be blessed, as blessed as the next guy. Well, it's a lie. We know that we have come to know him if, everybody say if. Yes. If we do what? If we obey his commands. The man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And when we were little, we would say liar, liar, pants on fire. And we live in a time of darkness and we live in a time of evil and we live in a time of, of lies. In one of my favorite older movies, if I, if I tell you what it is, no one will know what it is. But a character talks about mendacity. We, we live in days of lies and mendacity, of lies and liars and falsehoods. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth what truth? The truth. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we're in him. So if anyone obeys, God's love is truly made complete in him. Now, I've grown up in church and I've met people and they would lead you to believe that love is a matter of how touchy-feely someone is. That love is a matter of whether or not somebody's a hugger or not. You know, we're, we're, we're gracious. The few Sundays ago, someone came up to me in the atrium and, you know, he, he asked if he'd give me a hug. I said, sure. Well, he gave me a hug and didn't let go. And, uh, <laughs> and he wanted to pray for, all right, all right. But that's not the way God defines love. God defines love on the basis of obedience. God defines love on the basis of what we do, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So we know God if we obey, and we know God if we love. We know God if we live the life. The second evidence or type of fruit that we see that John gives us is we know God if we live as Christ lived. We know God if we walk as Christ walked. We can say it this way. We we know him if we live a godly life. Verse six, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Who's the standard? I said, who's the standard? See, it's not me. Paul wrote to one of the churches, follow me as I follow Christ. When we do our best, My father does his best. I do my best to live up to his example. But Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So Jesus is the standard. So we all have plenty to work on. Amen? Amen. We all have plenty of areas and plenty of ways in which we can improve. You know, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, young man, you know the commands. He's like a young person today. said, Jesus, all of these I have kept since I was young. Well, that's not possible. Because if that were possible, there would have been no need for Jesus to come in the first place. Jesus came because it was impossible for any man or any woman to perfectly obey the law. The law makes us aware, Paul tells us in Romans, the law makes us aware of all the ways in which we have fallen short of the commands of God. We're, in need of, we're all in need of a Savior. We know him if we walk as Christ walked. We know him if we live a godly life. Jesus is the standard. And what is that standard? It's a standard of truth and not error. It's a standard of truth and not lies. It's a standard of love. And love is evidenced by what we do. And love is evidenced by whether or not we obey the commands of God. The, sec- the third type of fruit or evidence or sign that we see that someone knows God, we know God if we walk in love. Verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. You know, there, there are people, and you'll hear this maybe, out there in the church culture amongst Christian people, they, they talk as if the Jesus is different than the God of the Old Testament. They talk as if the God of the New Testament is different than the Old. We have a new covenant, which is better, with a better high priest, with better promises, but we serve the same God. And it's amazing, it is amazing, the level of ignorance that is out there. Someone actually asked us recently, and this is someone in the ministry a- asking us if grace and the new covenant means that there, we live in a time in which there are no consequences for sin and no consequences for wrongdoing. But this is the time in which we live. There are lies everywhere. There are errors everywhere. There there are falsehoods everywhere. And if God's men don't know if they're confused on this, of course, the people of God are confused. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. And so in Matthew 22, we have the love command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not new. It is old. And you can look that up in your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You can look that up in your Bible in Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Yes, in Leviticus of all places. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. It's not a new command. It's an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Well, how can the old be new? Because it is made complete in Christ. It is perfected in Christ. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind? It looks like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. You go to the Gospels when he was at that moment, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible speaks of that, that he set his face like flint, like stone. He, he knew the horror to come. He knew the suffering to come. And, and it's one thing to, to suffer or pay a price that you deserve. But he, he paid the price for you and me. And that's when he prayed that prayer of consecration. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a new command because it's renewed and it's made complete and it's perfected in Christ. It's truth that's seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Who's the true light? It's Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. I believe two Sundays ago at 9 a.m., Pastor was dealing with What we say, I can't say that I walk in the light when I I spend time bad-mouthing brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't say that I walk in love when I I spend time, whether during the day or online or text messaging or Facebook messaging or at lunch, bad-mouthing brothers or sisters in Christ. I can't say that I'm walking in love if I I go to lunch or I'm around someone and they're they're bad-mouthing brothers or sisters in Christ. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Jesus taught it this way in the Gospels that if there is something between you and a brother, you and a sister, before you go to the house of God, before you go to the house of God to present an offering or sacrifice, first make that situation right. First, do what needs to be done. Whoever loves his brother, verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Pastor Austin, why why, why do I keep having these challenges? Why do I keep having having these problems? Why do I keep having these difficulties? You're you're walking in darkness. And yes, part of walking in the light is walking in truth and righteousness. But some, somebody can be theologically correct and they can be like a rattlesnake or like a venomous viper with their mouth. James says it this way out of this same, same well, same spring, should not come both clean water and, and polluted water. Should not be both fresh water and salt water. And that there are people and that they know all the right things, they know enough to walk with God. But their mouth is full of evil and their mouth is full of wickedness. They're not walking in love. To walk in the light, we have to walk in love. To walk in love, we have to walk in the light. And when you walk in the light and walk in love, there's nothing in you that makes you stumble. The Bible speaks of the fact that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, Jessica has a garden and she had her corn affected by some type of insect. So she was watching online and looking at videos and how to deal with that. We like to keep our yard nice. Sometimes we get moles. I hate the moles. I'm ready to break out the dynamite. But, I, you know, my father never taught me how to use dynamite, so I know I shouldn't be doing that. You know, looking up how to, how to get rid of those critters. And so you, you, you might think it's some great big mystery as to why you're not forcefully advancing Maybe it's because you're not walking in love. Maybe you're not walking in love with your husband or wife. Maybe you're not walking in love with your children. Maybe you're not walking in love with coworkers. Or or maybe you walk in love with your family and those that are important to you. but, But maybe you're not walking in love with your other brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want to live a life in which you no longer stumble, walk in the light in Christ and walk by the truth of God's word and walk by righteousness and not darkness, and walk in truth and not in error, and walk in love, not in hate. Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Jesus spoke of that in the Gospels. That's why we have to be careful what we watch and what we we listen to because that's all a seed that gets deposited down in the inside and it comes back in the things that we do and the things that we, we say. And we have to walk in love. We have a duty to walk in love. The next type of evidence or fruit that someone really knows God, they know God if their sins have been forgiven. Verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now, th- this is important. Because again, we we come into right standing with God by faith in Christ. But from that point forward, we maintain our fellowship by what John is teaching us in 1 John. We maintain our fellowship by walking in the truth. We maintain our fellowship by walking in the light. We, We maintain our fellowship by walking in righteousness and not in sin. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. When you're born again, your sins up to that point in time are, as the Bible says, washed away. A fancy word is remitted, they are canceled out as if they never happened. The Bible says that God separates our sins from us as far as the east, it is from the west. But from that point forward, if you sin, you're to do what the Word says. And you're to handle it the way the Word says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why Paul speaks of godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when someone's sorry they got caught. So they they, they didn't acknowledge their wrongdoing. They didn't fess up to their wrongdoing. They didn't make it right. They have no intention of making it right. They're sorry or they're sad or they're crying because they got caught. But it's only godly sorrow that can lead to repentance. We know him. We know Jesus. And we maintain our fellowship with him if our sins are forgiven. And this is why some of the things being taught today are so evil and so wicked, and so insidious. You know, now my, my father, he'll, he'll name a name. I'm only 40 years old, and so I, I, I don't think I'm old enough to do that yet. But there, there's a man on TV, and he, he teaches that once a Christian is saved, they never again need to confess their sins or repent of their sins from that day forward. It, it's leading an entire generation in darkness. And again, just think that through logically. You know, if you hurt your wife's feelings, and she tells you, you hurt my feelings, what are you going to do? Say, well, I saw so-and-so on TV, and they said that once I'm saved, I no longer need to confess of anything or repent of anything from this day forward. Is that going to work? Well, if it won't work with your wife, why would you think it's going to work with the Lord? But think about it. You you tell God's people that, man, we're we're good to go. No matter what we do, no matter how we live, no matter what choices or decisions we make, no matter how selfish or wicked or ungodly, well, what are you going to have amongst God's people? You're going to have all kinds of evil and all kinds of wickedness and, and all kinds of stumbling that is not necessary. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The next type of evidence or fruit is that we know God if we know Christ and if we overcome Satan. Verse 13, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Well, how do we know that we know him? We know him if we walk in the light. We know him if we obey his commands. We we know him if we walk in love. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Say it this way. Say, I have overcome the evil one. Say, so I have the victory over every work of Satan. Now you might wonder, you know, why, why, why at the beginning did Austin give us a little history lesson about Polycarp and about Irenaeus? Because you can look at any time in church history and you can see the fruit of what someone believed and taught. And John mentored Polycarp, who mentored Irenaeus. And Irenaeus left behind a good report and a good testimony and a good witness. And Irenaeus believed that we're to walk with him. And as we walk with him, we're to become more like him. And that is what the Christian life is, to know him and to overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Remember 1 John 2 and verse 3, we know him if we obey his commands. And how do we overcome the evil one? Revelation twelve and verse eleven gives us the answer. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of our testimony. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. But look, look at Hebrews real quick, and I'll just give you one example. Let's see if I can find. Going to Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26. This is new te- tell your neighbor, say, this is new Testament. new Testament. Tell your other neighbor, say, this is, this is new, Testament. new Testament. Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. What does that mean? After you know the truth, that certain things are wrong, that certain things are not worthy of the people of God or the name of Christ, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Tell your neighbor again, say, that's New Testament. Tell your other neighbors, say, that's New Testament. New Testament. And again, look back up to the issue. It's verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning. See, that, that's the issue. We're, we were once in darkness. Now we're saved. We're born again. We're a part of the family of God. We've been brought from darkness into the light, and we're to walk in the light. We're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to walk in truth and Righteousness. We're to obey God. He said, whatever I do, it's because I see the Father doing it. I see the Father saying it. We're to walk in love. We know God if we keep or obey his commands. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you, and you have overcome. Say, I have overcome... The evil one. But we do that by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. But, but what is our testimony? That, that we believe in Jesus, but our lives are no different from the lives of those that don't know Jesus? What is our testimony? That we believe in Jesus, but the way we talk and the way we act and the way we treat other people is no different than people that are lost, that don't know God? Is that our testimony? Is that what we were saved to and saved for? No, we were saved for greater. We were saved to walk with God. We were saved to, as John says, to know him. We were saved to walk and to live as Jesus lived. We were saved to overcome the evil one, to have the victory. Paul writes, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. We'll pause there. Please bow your heads. Close your eyes. You might be here today and you, you would say, Austin, I, I don't know God. I don't know the Lord. I don't have a relationship with God. I do not know him as my father. And that's what Jesus said that made the religious leader so angry because he he spoke of God as his father. Well, friend, by believing upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and by giving your life to him, you can become a part of the family of God. You you can know his father as your father. This world we live in, it'll tell you that you can believe whatever you want, that you can come up with your own path to God. It'll tell you that if you're you're good enough, whatever that is, that that's sufficient, that you'll be in heaven someday. But friends, those are all lies. The Bible says that we've all fallen short. We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Each of us, every man, every woman, every little boy, every little girl, we are all in need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. He said, I'm the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you're here today and say, Austin, I, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never asked him to be my Lord, and my Savior, but I, I want to. I want to give Him my life. I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. You might also be here today and Time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you, you walked an aisle, but you, you know you're not right with God. Maybe you've walked in darkness. Maybe you've not walked in love. Maybe you heard something that sounded good and you headed down that road, but now, now you're paying a price for it. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me, I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with the Lord. I want to leave the day knowing I have peace with God. That's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up high to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. The sake of anyone watching or listening online, you might say, Austin, I want you to pray with me. Let's pray with them. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins. I give you my life. I thank you that Jesus, he lived for me. I thank you that he took my sins upon himself, that he paid the price I deserve to pay. And I thank you that he didn't stay in the grave, but you raised him from the dead. And I thank you, from this day forward, he will live in me. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. Thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me and living for you. A few years ago, my father and I were here at 5 a.m. prayer, and a man came up to us at the end of prayer and told us that he had a marijuana habit and told us for how many years. Well, we, we didn't say, well, brother, that, that, that's okay because, you know, it could be worse. We, we offered just to pray with him, and the Lord set him free. We did. And the Lord did, amen, and God gets all the credit. See, see what, what, what life does God have for us to live? John understood it. Polycarp understood it. Irenaeus understood it. The goal is to not sin. The goal is to walk with him. The goal is to become more like him. And will we perfect that before we step into eternity? No. No. But that is the goal, to become more like him because we represent Jesus Christ here on planet Earth. The first believers, they weren't called Christians. They were known as followers of the way. What way? The way of Jesus, which is the way of love, which is the way of obedience, which is the way of light, in a wicked culture. And then over time, first in Antioch, they were called Christians. Why? Because they walked around as little Christ. Amen. We well, hope the message today was a blessing, encouragement to you.